Welcome to GT Radio on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. My name is Osway Cardona with Alima too. What's up? Laura Taylor. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> and Lauren has the week off, which is unfortunate because today we're going to discuss a movie based on her favorite book, Ready Player One. <laughs> it's not. That's, that's uh, not... A factual statement. Is that not true? Is that not? <laughs> no. Did I? Am I confused? No, I think but it's I your think favorite book. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have said it's my favorite book. Didn't she say that too? I'm, maybe. No. I think maybe she I'm said confused. the opposite. Okay, well, she can she can let us know when she comes back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm this sure is what she happens screaming. when one of us goes away. Right? We start stuff. Yep, there oh, is punishment. <laughs> Being here is optional. My my punishment is not. Last week you did not spread lies about me, and I was very proud of you. Are you sure? Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, then I did something wrong. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we saw Ready Player One, all three of us. I am. I am super excited. We all read the book beforehand, so I'm. I'm curious what you guys thought of it, and I. I thought. um, You know, it's it's good to. Right now, just say that full spoilers for the book, for the movie, for everything. If you haven't seen it, um, we are we're gonna spoil. Pretty much everything, I'm guessing, or whatever comes up. And uh, if you haven't seen it, but you're just interested, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, find out what we, what we think. Uh, I just want to start. We all liked the book, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you both cover the book on, the, on this podcast? Mm-hmm. Did we? I don't think so. We've mentioned it, but it had been so long. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I don't think we've ever done a whole episode on it. I know... It's definitely something that we've referred to on a number of occasions, yeah. but mostly as like, like, I like it very much. Um, not even, I don't think we even did it in the context of a library entry. Not that I can think of. No, because no. we both read it before the library came into our collective Josue Lara mind. This is true. We read it a long, long time ago. It's true. It, it's uh, true. It was the second episode of my now dead podcast, Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. Um, really? So I, I think we covered in 2012 or 13 or something like that whenever we did that podcast i don't even remember that it's not that old your old it podcast is that, is old. that old it's, it totally mm-hmm. is that old, we're dude. old okay yeah. yeah so the book's been around for a while when did when was the book published i forgot I think 2011 okay okay and i do remember actually i don't remember talking with lara about it other than I remember liking it, and I think it came in a in a loot crate. Is yeah, I got it in a loot crate. Yep. Oh okay. wow! And then I think I remember people harassing Ali on Twitter about it until he caved in. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> yeah, okay. um, who was that guy? Uh, a Josue something. A was it? Josue that, was it him? C- yeah, it was that guy. Got it. <laughs> it Josie? sounds like him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like something you do. <laughs> I think I was rereading it, and then I was like, Ali. what? We should talk about this book. <laughs> well, we were and we were new friends at that point. Um, we had recently. It's all a blur to me. Friend. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I had so many people telling me to read this book, and that was part of my resistance to reading it. Is like too many people were telling me to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I finally like th- it was it was a few people who I'm really close to whose opinions I trust um, told me to read it like all at the same time. So I finally caved in and read it. And I think that, I mean, first of all, it's true. I have said that it's my favorite book, but I also think it's the first book that I ever read. And I, and, and then further down the road, I was, I just wanted to pick me up and I thought that the book would do it. You know, it's like, it's that kind of book for me. I enjoyed it that much. And 
man, I've been, I've been imagining this movie since I read the book. I remember while I was reading the book thinking, how could this possibly ever be a movie? And, hmm. and here we are. What'd you guys think of the movie? Lara, what'd you think? I thought it was awesome. The action scenes were everything I wanted. I told you earlier through text that I don't know how much I would have liked it if I hadn't read the books before. I think that is strange to me. Yeah. 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 Um, I think because they had to, I mean, always the book is better. Always. That's my opinion. Uh, Mm -hmm. there you get more detail, you get more back history and everything. And in a movie, you have to condense it. And I think that. I didn't get as much, I didn't connect with the characters as much as I had hoped, um, but I knew all their stories, so I already, I had that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens um, when someone I know who hasn't read the book goes to see the movie. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Ali, where do you stand? Uh, I'm I'm mixed on the movie. Um, There's a lot I liked about it. So I I think a lot of the changes that happen to the movie actually make it a, a better film adaptation. Like a lot of the challenges that are a big part of the book, um, I actually think those changes are, are for the better. Um, one of the things that I um, didn't like about the book is it really seemed like you needed to know all the references to really enjoy the, the book. And with the movie, I think that's less of a big deal. Um, so, and I think a lot of that happens with the challenges. Like, uh, the, there's more that's explained. So, if you if you weren't someone who played all those games or um, have seen all those movies, like you're, you can still enjoy the movie in, in terms of the larger story. So, I liked all those changes. And like Laura was saying, the action is really great. Um, it, it was really cool to see how how all that stuff happened. Um, as Lara was saying as well, um, I really think the characters. Um, well, I just I had a hard time connecting with the characters, and um, something that kind of bugged me was Artemis's character. Um, a lot is cut out, and I think in in the book. Um, <laughs> the relationship that kind of develops with Artemis and Parzival is a little bit more developed. And mm-hmm. here in the movie, it, it, I just didn't buy it. And it felt, uh, it made me feel like, like what? It kind of took me out of the movie, how quickly their relationship was developing. And um, I didn't really like that part. So uh, I'm, I kind of, I, 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 there's a lot I liked and there's a lot of stuff that I didn't like as much but I mostly liked it and I had fun. I have to say the one character they nailed from the the book to the to the movie was H. <laughs> totally. I I when I was talking to Josue earlier I I mentioned Halliday, but I think thinking on it now H really is uh yeah, spot on. Yeah. Uh really great casting for H. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that was so great. I I love the movie. I enjoyed it a lot. I I watched it in Puerto Rico, which means that I had to watch it with subtitles on, subtitles in Spanish. And I hate subtitles. Like, <laughs> there are very few things that I hate in mm-hmm. this world. Subtitles are one of them. And this is one of the first times I've ever gone to the movies in Puerto Rico, watched the movie, and I looked past the subtitles. 
I was so into the movie that I I didn't even notice that the subtitles were there. Wow. So that's saying something. Um, I enjoyed it like crazy. There were so many things that I wanted to see that were there. And then so much of the movie is also new. It's so crazy that how in just a few years they updated the movie so much. There's so many things that are really relevant to today that are actually kind of outdated. It's funny that some things could be... I guess it's not outdated because it is a movie. I mean, it is a book about 2045, Mm -hmm. but yet it still feels updated and and current. And I I love that. And there's so much new stuff. uh, Minecraft right in the beginning. Minecraft (laughs) world was, yeah, that was, that was like perfect. That was spot on. And that was something I was concerned about um, updating it. I mean, the the book is so much about 80s culture and 80s references. I was worried that it was going to pull away from that, but they, made it like it's it's all about the 80s still in holiday it's all about the 80s but everybody else has their avatars and stuff from like everything from when the book came out to now yeah um, yeah which was really cool yeah it's whatever people like i think they made a good point of showing that the 80s was holidays thing and it's yeah, yeah. some of the gunters are obsessed with that stuff and ioi is literally studying that but yeah. The rest of the world is moved on, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they, you like what you like. So I, I really enjoyed it. This is the first time that I've ever seen the movie after reading a book, but that I knew the book so well. Because I've read, I've seen other movies where I've, I've read a book. Maybe I read it in school, or maybe you know, just. But it, I wasn't into the book as much as I was into this one. So I never had that experience before. Where I was like, well, the book's better than the than the movie. I usually rather just see the movie because then I know that the book will probably be better so <laughs> what what i Why disappoint the, yourself <laughs> i know exactly exactly do it like work your way up um and so when i finished watching the movie i just wanted to read the book because there was so much i remember that there was so much more of what i had just experienced for two hours there was so much more of it in the book and and man i loved that. i like i was grinning the whole time and the theater i was in was really into it like they were laughing at everything and it was it was I don't know. I, I loved it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. Someone asked me like uh, how I could parrot it. Was it um, Patrick O'Connor? He asked me uh, to rate it as a Spielberg movie, as a book adaptation, and overall. And <laughs> I think I gave it Bs all around, like a low B for a Spielberg movie, like a, a mid B for the for a book adaptation, and like a high B for an overall movie. Um, hmm. That's kind of that's how I felt uh, yesterday. Well, you're talking about some of the um, some of the changes that happen, and um, I gotta say that made the movie a much more fun experience for me because, as you both are saying, a lot of book to film adaptations I've I've experienced, the book is always better, and here the the film was different and i like that and um it just it made it a more fun and interesting experience i didn't know going in that they had changed so much and so that i loved like spielberg added his own stuff like the t-rex is ah, in there like, from the I- panel i went to at wondercon because before all of this um spielberg didn't want them to put any references to any of his films oh. um, and, th- and they snuck in the dinosaur yeah <laughs> well they just snuck in what about the, the biggest references uh, yeah that too but he, they kept trying to put more in put more in there apparently there was going to be like raiders of the lost ark and and all kinds of other things and they he was like no 
take it out. This is not about me. Take it out. <laughs> so I'm glad they kept the DeLorean and the and the T-Rex. Yeah. Well, so what's cool about that is it, it makes for a more exciting experience. And one of the things, Josue, when you and I spoke about Ready Player One so many years ago um, and talked about the film and what would this film even look like, one of my biggest fears was how are they going to get the rights to some of this stuff? Yeah. Yep. So Warner Brothers has probably spent a lot of money to other studios to get access to some of these things. I mean... I didn't think Mechagodzilla would be in this, and it is. Um, Ultron is not, but instead you have Gundam. And so there's, you know... Ultraman. Al- Ultra, yeah, Ultraman um, is not in here. but And then you have Iron Giant, which is, um, is kind of cool. So I liked all those changes. The only thing that kind of bugged me about those changes is Warner Brothers. There's a lot of Batman in here. Like, you see Batman a number of times, you see the Batmobile a number of times, there's a Joker reference, there's a Harley Quinn reference, there's a lot of Batman stickers. There's a Batgirl. There's Batgirl. Yeah, I was like, okay, Warner Brothers, we get it. You, you really like Batman, you own the Batman property. Um, so that that was a, just one thing that took me out. And I also noticed, in addition to a lot of Batman stickers, there were a lot of Mortal Kombat stickers. Um, and Goro was in there too. So I, I, there was a few times where when we kept seeing the same uh, reference to a pop culture property that kind of took me out a little bit. But um, it wasn't as bad as like when you watch a James Bond movie and the whole world is using only Sony products. That's always kind of weird for me. Um, it wasn't that bad, but... Um, for a, for a book that had so many different franchises mentioned, I think they did a pretty good job of bringing a lot of diversity into what pop culture references make it to the movie. Well, I'll add a little food for thought uh, for you on this. There are so many, so many different types of characters in here. I wonder if it's just that those are the ones that were most recognizable to you. Mm-hmm. Because in an ocean full of references, there's a lot that you didn't get. And those were practically invisible to you. So that doesn't mean you're right. Batman is in the Everest stroke at the beginning. His sticker is on Artemis's goggles. And a lot of DC, um, like Bat Family characters are, you can see them clearly. But they're also surrounded by all these other characters that, again, were invisible to you because you didn't know who they were. I'm sure a lot of people saw like Harley Quinn and Joker, which were, they seem to be the Arkham Asylum uh, versions. Right. And I'm sure yeah. some people yeah, saw yeah, that yeah. and didn't recognize them. The Arkham yeah. Knight walked by one in one scene, and I'm sure a lot of people didn't one. notice it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Arkham Knight was like, when he's walking into the library, the Arkham Knight walks oh. by. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the cool things about this is uh, you, you're going to be seeing the stuff that you're most most familiar with. Um, like, I, uh, they, I think there was Ryu and Chun-Li um, from Street Fighter I noticed once. Uh, I think there's... I don't know if they're clone troopers or storm troopers, but they're in that final battle somewhere, I think. Um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff here and there kind of sprinkled well, throughout. Well, again, I think something that you described as, as like sort of kind of a negative, right, that it pulled you out. I'm saying it's probably because it was so obvious compared to it just stood out from everything else that was around it. Because every single time, like there's no one character in like in isolation, really. You know, there's always tons of characters. And there's a lot that I didn't um, recognize either. And actually, so mm-hmm. I have a few different points that, I, that I'd like to touch upon. And I'm curious if any, um, you guys have any too, but uh, I'm going to go first. <laughs> and this <laughs> reference thing, I think, is, is a good point. We, you kind of touched on it a little. Is it necessary to... So actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to st- take a step back. We got a question on Twitter. 
very, very simple question I want you guys to answer, which is, this is technically a question queue. Question queue. Question good, queue. Good, good, good. Took you, took you a little longer than I... I, I, I was, I was he wasn't expecting the no, question no, queue. I know. <laughs> no. Catching off guard. <laughs> so this is from at Blue Rodent on Twitter. And very simple question. Should I read the book first? What do you think? That, that's, a, that's a tough question because, like I said, I didn't connect to the characters as much yeah. without the book. But on the other hand, typically when I read books watch and slash watch the movie, I watch the movie first and read the book later. Um, that I, ooh, You're going to have to... <laughs> going to have to... Going to have to take it with a grain of salt, but I'd say read the book first. Okay. Ali? So my answer depends on how fast you read books. If you read books as slowly as I do, I would say don't read the book and go see the movie. Um, I think it's more fun to see the movie, or I, th- I think you want to see the movie on the biggest screen possible because it is such Absolutely. a yeah. visual feast. So if, you, if like, if, Alima too picked up this book right now. I wouldn't be seeing the movie for like a month, and by then Avengers: Infinity War is out, and Ready Player One's been booted to a small screen. So I would say, if you're a slow reader, go see the movie now. If you're a fast reader, pick it up now. You will you will appreciate the characters as as Laura's saying, and also like little things like they they explain Gunther's, but it's very quick. And you might miss it. And there's a lot of little moments like that where stuff is explained. Mm-hmm. But if you read the book, you know the whole history there. Like uh, everything with the stacks and um, like w- how this world came to be. A lot of that stuff moves by so fast in this movie. And that's actually a compliment I have to the movie. The movie is very well edited. Like it doesn't seem like it's slow. Like I was really on the edge of my seat the whole time. So, but the downside to that is you might miss a lot. So. That's my funky answer to that question. I say do not read the book. Go see the movie. And then if you like the movie, you still have the book, which has a whole lot more of what you just saw. Pretty much what I said earlier. So we got three different answers. <laughs> three different, different answers. Oops. <laughs> okay. I love it. And so, <laughs> and so the point I wanted to get to uh, is about the references, right? So do you need – like just like I don't think you need to see the – the, read the book to see the movie. Do you have to get all the references to enjoy it? And so I'm, I'm going to uh, admit something. I have never seen The Shining. So I've never seen The Shining either. You're kidding. You both haven't seen it. Wow. Yeah. But so, I understood what was going on. Exactly. And I enjoyed <laughs> yeah. it like crazy. And my and there was one moment when like you see that she uh, H goes into uh, room 237. And when the door closes, my whole theater was like, oh, no. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I had no idea what that was. But I got I got the gist of it. Right. And in the novel, in the book, another another confession. I don't think I've seen War Games. And I've never what? seen Monty Python. What? And those two parts of the book are probably, possibly, if not my favorite parts of the book, the parts that I think about most often. Because the idea of a flick sync, which is in the novel, yeah. is the the idea that uh, they make a version of the movie that you can essentially live through. And yeah. the the game gives you bonus points for acting out the and role playing and remembering the lines correctly. So it's like you can be a character in the movie. And so I never saw those two movies and I read the book twice 
And I love those parts of it. But it's it's because of what they like. I love what's happening to the character as it's happening. I love how other people are reacting to it. And I love the idea of it. And I I I think about that all the time. Like, man, I wish it was a there was a sink of the Matrix. I wish there was a sink of this other movie. And I would love to to have that experience to jump into a movie instead of just watch a movie. I'm really sad they did not present that idea in the movie. Yeah. The, the yeah. I mean, sink. that was that would have been there's some things like the like the almanac in the book, yeah. which yeah. what they did in the movie is way, way better for a movie. It's because much otherwise, more, it's much more visual. It works yeah, way works. better yeah. for the movie. Yeah. 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 I really like, love the way they did that. Yeah. Otherwise, there'd just be montages on montages of like of the Gunters all like reading notebooks. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, so yeah. research. what's cool, Josue, about um, and Laura, for you having not seen The Shining is it's all from H's perspective. And H is a character who's not seen The, Sh- the Shining. Right, so, like, right. H is like, what's <laughs> happening? Like, what? <laughs> naked lady, why are you here? Oh, no. What naked lady is a zombie lady? Like, it. it's really... Uh, at, uh, what H was going through is what I was going through the first time I saw The Shining. I was like, what? What? These little girls, they're cute. Wait, oh no, they're not. Um, <laughs> so- no, there's also like, there are things about all three of these movies that I've never seen that transcend and are part of pop culture. So I know about right. the two twins that are girls. Like, totally. People, that shows up also all over the place. You know and about the, the axe. And blood. And yep. The, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I really think this movie does that way better than the book. Like, I think there's a lot of references in the book that make it tough for you to to get through that if you if you don't know that material. But I don't think that's the case with this movie. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff in here that just um, you can just enjoy just from the movie's perspective, just having not been exposed to any of the source material. Yeah, I don't know. I think the more references that you know. The more, on the one hand, there are more things to distract you. The DC superheroes, right? That, that distracted yeah. you yeah, early. Yeah. But there are, I think that the more stuff that you recognize and the more, the deeper the connection you have to some of those things, the bigger the deal it is, right? Because when that RX-78 Gundam comes out, I flipped the fuck out even though I knew it was coming <laughs> and I saw it in the trailer. Okay. That was so, so good. Right. You know and what? I love that moment. And most you... people probably, have no idea what that gun was. My moment of of that, my favorite moment like that uh, was the Star Trek inspired funeral for Halliday. <laughs> I did think of you in this moment. <laughs> I was like, this is this is what Ali's funeral is going to look like. Oh I buried God. you in my mind halfway through the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you thought of me. Uh, but but there's no point in that scene where it said this is a Star Trek funeral. It had uh, the Starfleet emblem. It was the torpedo that Spock was launched in after Spock dies. There was um, flowers in the shape of an Enterprise, but it didn't say this is the USS Enterprise from Star Trek. So that was just such a fun thing where if you're a Trekkie, you see that scene in a very different way. And if you're someone else, you're just like, oh, it's a funeral. Um Maybe it's a reference to something. I don't know. And that's what I... I think this movie does that way better than the book. Um, I really... I love the way this movie did pop culture references. Well, because the book would literally have to spell it out. Well, that's the thing, right? <laughs> so the book has to explain what it is. It wouldn't describe the shape. Because even if I just describe the shape for you, even you might not get it, Ellie based on how I described it. I'd be like, it's like a rounded triangle that's like convex 
on one side, but one corner is lower. Like, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing it. You'd be like, I don't know what that is. I have no idea what, what shape you're describing, right? So like, it would have to say in the book, it's Star Trek this and Star Trek that, and the shapes were in, in the form of this particular ship. I don't I don't know that it one does it better than the other. They did it they didn't have to. And actually I think a movie any movie that would go through the trouble of explaining something, giving that much exposition, is just not doing it right. And with this movie you had to you couldn't possibly do something like that. I think it would be alienating even to the people who like it would be alienating to the people who don't know what it is, and it would be alienating to the people who do know what it is because like I already know what it is. You don't have to explain it to me. So I was thinking a lot about the movies and how it didn't, I don't think it affected negatively my experience. I think it only adds, it only makes it more positive, the more things you recognize. And there were a lot of things that I recognized uh, in this movie. And there was, I, I do have a question for you guys. There was, there was one moment, and I think this happens throughout the entire movie, but there's one moment in particular at the end. So Sorrento comes in uh, and is, is about to fight Parzival and Parzival pulls out a Hadouken. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... And now, so I've been thinking a lot about this. The moment where he pulls out a Hadouken, I wanted time to slow down. Because for me, that was so cool. The idea that I could be in this virtual world and just have that in my arsenal and say, oh, you want to fight? Take this. And then I wanted something to play out like in the introduction to like uh, Street Fighter Alpha, right? He's like slow and suddenly like the sky turned black and there's lightning and he's powering that thing up and it goes slow and he just blows that thing and like it goes in slow motion. But it didn't. He just said Hadouken and he blew the thing and then he did a flash kick and then the fight was over. And it was like a throwaway reference. And then I was thinking how... It should not have been a throwaway. Well, but but I think every single reference in the movie is a throwaway. All of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing, right? If they, if they were... They almost had to be irreverent of everything to a point. Because if they were reverent of everything, it would, it would have been way longer. And it also... Yeah. Even, even as someone who loves that shit and would, would have loved that much fan service, like the, the extended fan service cut would be five hours long. Right, mm-hmm. but they didn't. Everything was just a throwaway reference. And there's, there's a few mo, uh, there's a few that weren't. Um, the one, the that, Iron Giant, sticks the out Gundam, to me as definitely well, yeah. was like he just floated there and came out in this pose. <laughs> there were a few that weren't. Yeah, um, there's. They talk about Goldeneye and they talk about Slappers Only mode, um, mm-hmm. and they don't really show it. And that whole thing is dependent on you knowing that game and having a lot of experience with it. Um, there's just a few like that, but the golden eye one is the one that sticks out the most. Yeah. Like H is driving in Bigfoot, right? Mm-hmm. And no one mentions Bigfoot. Right. But they do all talk about like, that's kind of his sickle from Akira, right? And it's like, holy shit. But nobody really about says anything about the DeLorean. The DeLorean like, no. with, with Knight Rider lights on the bottom, on the front. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's his version of... The DeLorean. <laughs> it's not yeah. just the DeLorean. It's the kit DeLorean. Which I do love when it goes into Back to the Future 2 flying mode to like go under the truck. Of course, to go under the vehicle. truck. Oh. That was awesome. I, I, that was probably one of my favorite moments of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or, or when um, Iron Giant is falling into the lava and does the Terminator 2 thumbs up, thumbs up. like uh-huh. descent into lava. I like all the, those kind of moments. And um, I know I keep saying this, but I think the film does this better. Where it, or maybe it's just, maybe I should say that 
Um, those kind of references work better in film as a medium than in a book, because in a book there is a little bit more explanation. They would have to say, and then put his thumbs up as it descended into the hot lava, reminiscent of Terminator 2. I don't know, you know. Um, it's just a little bit easier to do that in film. Yeah, because a thumbs up into the lava, some people might think Terminator 2, but exactly, unless you say that extra part, and it looked just like in T2. Like, oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think they had, they must have just had so much fun playing with the visual aspect. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that while he was writing the the novel, he must have had things that, you know, like didn't make it. And he thought like, well, what should I do? And and this was the perfect uh, medium for it. Yeah. So any other thoughts on that idea of like, do you, do you need to get the references to appreciate it? Yeah, well... <clears throat> And again, I'll I'll say something that I think makes me, it makes it hard for me to revisit the book now. And this is why I I like the film, how it's done this, is I haven't read the book again since I originally read it. But there's been like so much about um, like uh, checking people's geek cred and geek culture and a lot of gatekeeping stuff and i think some of the biggest criticism you could have for ready player one the book is it it's sort of a celebration of all of that and there's times in the movie where i think there are moments like that where it's like oh well holiday this and he did that at that point and that at that point um but what i like about the film and i think the film does this better than the book is it does the challenges are less about do you know this stuff and it's more about the lessons of Halliday's life. I really liked that. Like, I did not expect that. The the book is so much about do you know X thing about pop culture, about geeky pop culture. But the movie was so much about do you know these important lessons from the life of Halliday and his his accomplishments and his regrets. Um, I like that approach a lot better. Even though the final challenge had to do with the game that ultimate had the original yeah. Easter egg. Yeah, but then the ultimate, ultimate challenge was going into that vault and not signing that contract. Yeah. It was a combination and they definitely, there was definitely less of it in the, in the movie than in the book. So I guess this is, so I, when I read the book, I didn't feel that way at all. And some of that backlash is weird to me. And so Lara shared an article with me that was kind of a mindfuck. Uh, on <laughs> right. Uh, oh, the and, backlash explained. Yep. Backlash yeah, explained, yeah. right. The, the it's, a, it's a good article. Yeah. The subtitle is uh, the ready player one book used to be considered a fun romp. Then Gamergate happened. And so I can never explain Gamergate well. It's still something that I sort of understand. It's, it's honestly, I, I understand how cryptocurrencies work and I can explain it to you, but I'm probably wrong. I feel the same way about Gamergate. I'm like, <laughs> I know it happened. I know some of the shit that happened. I know examples and names, but I don't understand the why exactly. And it's, it, it all very- started over like, gaming journalism and accountability and integrity supposedly i get it and supposedly. i don't get it yeah i get it and i don't get it because then you get to that to like swatting and then all this other exactly shit. and then it got taken over by people 
Yeah, yeah. And so the whole geek gatekeeping thing that supposedly, again, according to this article and some of the things that some of the criticisms that I've heard about the book, the idea that, oh, it celebrates like, oh, if you're not a geek, like the geek gatekeeping, right? Mm -hmm. And I've thought about that over the past couple of days. And it seems like such bullshit in that there's this type of gatekeeping in everything. Like we could we could change geek culture to race, we could change it to class, we could mm-hmm. change it to gender, and then and we're having the same conversation. So it seems weird to me that it happens that, that the conversation is somehow different around geek culture and it would be seen all of a sudden as a negative in the book. The reason I shared the article with Josue is my wife has been reading the book to catch up in order to watch the movie with me, which she didn't. So she didn't see the movie with me. Um, <laughs> but, but we're going to go. I'm going to go see it again with her, I think. But she's been having a really hard time getting into it. And every night she'll tell me, like, what the hell is this doing in this book? Mm-hmm. Talking about, mm-hmm. like, uh, the first scene in the book in the basement where they're talking about pussies, like calling each other pussies and, and, mm-hmm. and girls. Um, another comment was a. Um, was something about like, are you a real girl? Like you were born a girl and mm-hmm. being kind of transphobic. And I think reading the article while Gamergate was a bunch of BS and it's hard to wrap your head around sometimes, I think the fact that it happened brought a lot of awareness to both the gatekeeping and also these toxic things in the gaming community. Totally. Um, And I think my wife reading the book has been having a hard time. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the movie when she sees that, because all those things that she was complaining about were not in the movie. There wasn't a lot of like, I mean, H says she could be a 300 pound dude in his mom's basement named Chuck, but there's no like transphobicness about that. Well, and, um, and while H is a lesbian in the book, they don't make any mention of yeah. it in the in the movie, although as part of the tribe, totally. Jose, <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me tell you about my mind fuck about this. Um, when I read the book, I loved it so much. And again, I, I, I had the criticism that I don't know if people who don't get the references will enjoy it, but I largely got the references and I enjoyed it. So... I, I didn't have any concerns. Um, but as time has gone on, I think I've realized that the book is written for people like me, heterosexual males who grew up on this kind of media and had these fantasies of like all this stuff that I love and like winning these games and like how somehow like winning at life because of this and getting the quote unquote girl. Um, all of that stuff. Like, this book is really written for people like me. Um, and I don't think I picked up on a lot of that stuff that Laura was talking about because it was it's, it was in my blinders at the time. And I didn't pick up on it either. And I am not a straight male. <laughs> but also, a lot of these arguments that you're making sound like the arguments that I hear from people criticizing the book, not like things that are actually in the book within the context of in which they're presented in the book. Well, the, you see no, what I'm I saying? Mean, like, like if we all read the book say, and we had this conversation again, 
And if we all agreed with what we like, what you just said, it was like, okay, you know what? It's right. Those things are there. But I'm not entirely convinced that they are. I don't think Ernest Klein wrote a book about gatekeeping, but I think Ernest Klein did write a book that it kind of runs parallel with some of these kind of issues that people experience where, oh, if you don't know all, if you don't know X, Y, Z, you're not really a geek. Like uh, you, um, I mean, this is stuff that I've experienced. It's like, oh, you haven't read this thing. You haven't read that thing. Well, I, I, you're not actually a fan of that. Um, y- you can have that experience with Ready Player One. And again, I don't think Ernest Klein is is doing that, but some of that stuff does slip in to the story or the experience of, of reading and the story. we all just did some of that. Like when Josue and I both said we didn't see The Shining, Ollie, you were like, what? <laughs> like, And it wasn't like malicious or anything, but it was a reaction like, you didn't see that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah but in the world of the book, it's not like people who didn't get all the references were murdered, you know? It's like, well, no, they the, one, the one kid who studied for this one particular test really, really hard won. It's, you, you know what I mean? It's one example. It's not like uh, there isn't like a huge narrative going on about, again, like you said, he didn't write a book about gatekeeping. I don't know. I have, it's it's weird to, for, for me. It is weird, and it's tough. Um, it's a, I think it's a tough conversation. I think to have to really have this conversation, we'd probably have to read the book again. Um, and we're talking about the movie here, and you can't talk about the movie without the book. But what I will say is what was most uncomfortable to me about the movie is Artemis's character and how Artemis seems to immediately fall in love with Parsifal. Like that relationship just felt, it felt weird. It felt a little strange. And then that felt like it was kind of um, evoking a lot of these criticisms about it being this like very male hetero fantasy. Um, So I I didn't like that relationship part. I, I almost wish that they cut out the whole romance from the film adaptation. It would have made me a lot happier with what they did with the characters in the movie. So when uh, I had my private practice in North Carolina, for a while, um, business wasn't going so great. And one day my girlfriend tells me, did you ever think about the fact that maybe clients aren't coming to you because your name is Josue and it's spelled in Spanish and it has an accent on the E? And that had never occurred to me, not once, that possibly in like a super white southern state... I might have a problem because of that. And there's no way that I could prove or not prove it. And I'm not saying that that's what happened, but the thought had never even crossed my mind until she mentioned it. That was like one of those points that I keep going back to. Like, how is it possible I didn't see the thing until she said that? So what you're talking about right now with the relationship between Artemis and and Parzival, because I had read that article that um, Lara sent me, it was on my mind. And at first I was like, Hmm. And I saw it from one perspective and I had to, I took a step back afterwards and I, and then I I was able to see it very differently. At first I was like, well, this kid is stupid. Like he just, he's like admitting that he loves her. Like this is hilarious. But then like she, at first, again, I I reacted the same, I think similar to, to what you're describing. But then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, it's, it's kind of cool that she, she was like, 
no, like, what, what are you doing? You know, like she completely stepped away. I was like, you don't, you don't even know me. Like, what, what are you talking about? And then, and then seemingly the next day she's like in love with him. Exactly. Well, well, no, but not, not that either, because then now that they know each other and then the next day he has this moment where like, he's about to kiss her and it, it, it's a weird moment because then she's like, holy shit, like he was afraid, like Halliday was afraid to kiss her. I figured it out, right? It was like, it wasn't about a romantic moment for her. It was about like, she knew what was happening. She knew that this this guy who liked her was like, wanted to kiss her. And then that made her think about the other thing. Now, this is a movie, so like time is condensed. And, and then, so the way I saw it was like, well, at this point now there's like admiration between the two of them. And there's like a celebratory kiss, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't see, like, I didn't think that she fell in love with him immediately, but that, but I only saw it that way afterwards. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like, like it wasn't like she was a prize or anything like that. She was this, like she, she absolutely did not fall into anything um, when he advanced at first. It, it just for being someone who's supposed to be one of the um, one of the best competitors or one of the best Gunthers out there. Uh, I don't think the movie really captured that well, and um, also didn't make her seem like she had as much agency. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I didn't really like that part. I, I, if, if those character moments were just fleshed out a little bit, um, I think this movie would rise way more. And I think we can talk about, we can, if you compare their, uh, characters to Halliday and what was uh, the name of Halliday's assistant, um, played by Simon Pegg, um, Oh, Ogden Morrow. Yeah. Not his assistant. It was his partner. 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 His partner. The assistant was uh, was Sorrento. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. Um, I really, really, really liked their character development. Um, Right. That was so good. And I left the movie thinking, like, wondering, are their characters this fleshed out in the book? Like, they weren't as memorable to me in the book, but the movie really captures their relationship and their arc and the, uh, so well. Their, uh, the acting, I thought, was so great, and it was so much about friendship, and it was so much about connection with other people, and that's something I really liked about the movie, and that's something I think is done better in the movie than the book, too, is this theme of connecting with other people um not only how the oasis might add to that and also take away from that but then also this backstory of how the oasis was created and connecting with people versus uh separating from people i loved that part i liked that part a lot it's a one experience that i had throughout the whole movie um was thinking i've never seen anything like this in my life Mm mm-hmm uh, there were like that race scene at the beginning. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. It was fun the first time. It was fun the second time when he's driving through it backwards. It's like, I still can't believe all the shit that's going on up there and all the cars. It was just incredible. When they go into the shining, the way that they mixed the real with yeah, their digital yeah. avatars mm-hmm. was mind blowing. Like that looked so, so, so good. Um, and again, some of the things that were happening were just incredible. Like, 
Like they they were in The Shining, and all of a sudden Artemis was jumping from floating zombie to floating zombie to get to like there's things that you could describe to people, and it's like how like, that can't possibly be uh, what you saw. <laughs> so uh, the race, I, I do think it it reminded me of what um, like a modern version of a pod race scene from Episode One would probably look like, and I, I the pod race scene is one of my favorite moments in Star Wars. I, I really love pod racing. Um, and this felt like it would, if we could do the pod race scene again with modern technology, it'd probably be more like this. So um, I like that. What I will say, it did feel like something I've never seen before is the mixture of live action with um, with the Oasis uh, style and how fluid that was going back and forth. That was really cool. Um I didn't think that would work, but it looked so good. And it was really, uh, really noticeable in that those final scenes when he's, um, when Parseval is in Halliday's uh, childhood home. Um, it looked so fluid. It was so cool. I loved that. And so I got to thinking, have I ever seen anything like this before? And I only came up with two examples that even come close. So one is... Well, and this is more in terms of the references and the crossovers and all of those things. And that's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I was gonna say that one right. Yeah, there. <laughs> because that's the only time. Like that's the only time that Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny have ever been in the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it also had that animated and real world crossover that right? still and holds up pretty well today. Because I mean, they literally drew the cells right on top o- of the, on the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's oh, like. That type of thing. This is this is the new version of that. And then the other the other one is Bracket Ralph, where mm-hmm. like you have all these different characters from these different things that you love, video games in particular, and they're just, you know, sitting around in a support group or doing whatever they're doing, right? Those two movies stood out for those reasons and I think this one does too. And I can't I can't think of anything else. My my friend uh saw the movie I think Wednesday night and I was trying to avoid things, but uh Thursday I saw a post, um, she said that Ready Player One is the Steven Spielberg movie you didn't know you were missing. And I think that's perfect. Um, Regardless of the issues I have about maybe a little bit of storytelling here and there, I thought visually it was amazing. And the story was pretty good throughout. I I liked it. But it was, like like we've said, the race scene... The big battle scene at the end where references are flying in it, you here and there. And some parts, there are too many characters on the screen. My brain couldn't, like, compute. It's impossible, yeah. Right. But it was really easy to, like, when they would pull into close shots, I'd be like, oh, there's that thing and that thing. And just so well put together, even for a gigantic scene that's really hard to, to compute in your brain yeah that set piece was pretty cool at the end um a lot of those kind of big scenes are hard to follow like the the final battle in lord of the rings you don't get you don't get a big sense of where everything is and it it's cool but it it's also like hard to follow uh this scene made a lot of sense like um they're trying to get here there's this like magic spell around and uh you gotta get have to get through it one of the things I loved about the book is how all of the different realms worked. And if, you, if you're if you in a spaceship 
and you are in the sci-fi realm and you enter the magic realm, if you haven't done a spell, your vehicle will shut down and then you have to like hire a magician to come fix your ship. I like how all those worlds worked. And while the movie couldn't really go into all of that world building, it did have little moments like that like that big uh, orb spell, that protection spell, you had to you had to whisper the incantation to um, to enact it, and then similarly to disarm it. And I like those little moments where it showed you how this universe works and um, how, like the um, Zemeckis cube. That was so cute. Uh, I love that. So that's kind of getting to back to what you were saying, Josue. You don't need to know that Robert Zemeckis directed Back to the Future to get that reference. But if you do, it adds a little bit more to it. Um, and if you haven't seen Back to the Future, if you don't get the reference, you just see that, oh, this Rubik's Cube, you do it, and it, like you go back in time for 60 seconds. That's cool. Um, I, I just love how all the little devices and the world building, how all of that kind of came together. Even things that don't necessarily have a specific reference, like the Zemeckis cube, but say the incantation. I knew that incantation because I used to watch, uh, my dad had the laser discs for the 80s movie Excalibur, and I remembered it. Hmm. Um, Holy and, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was so cool to, I was like, where do I know that from? Oh, that's from Excalibur. Um, so. They didn't even have to, like like we talked about, those throwaway things. Even things that were important to the story, that like the incantation, um, they didn't have to say, this is from that movie Excalibur in 1980. I think it was 84. I'm not sure. Um, I just know it was a cool movie. See, I didn't even know <laughs> that. I didn't even get that reference. Right. That's really cool. This is a world where it seems like anything goes, but there are rules. There are yeah. very clear yeah. rules um, established. And that's something that I, I appreciate it because it's not like someone came in and just hacked everything. Even know? though even though Halliday doesn't like rules. Uh, <laughs> this is true. This is true. That's, so that's what I got to say. What's cool. The coolest thing about what Ernest Klein has done is creating that universe. And it's this universe that I really wanted to play in and I really wanted to be in. And that's what, that's what I loved about Harry Potter is J.K. Rowling made this world that I wanted to be in. I wanted to go to Hogwarts. I wanted to take those classes. I wanted to walk those halls. And I felt very much the same way with Ready Player One. And those aspects of the film, I really liked how all that stuff came together. Um, I think Steven Spielberg and the whole team did an amazing job uh, visually adapting how this looks and how it works and all that stuff. Speaking of Harry Potter, I'm surprised I didn't see any Harry Potter references. What's up with that? That's a no. WB property. Yeah. I was really yeah. surprised. Voldemort by that. was in the ba Lego Batman movie, but there was no <laughs> no Harry Potter in this one. Yeah. yeah. I'm really sad yeah. about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder if there is something though. That we missed. Said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> I wonder I wonder if the Blu-ray version We're going to have to go like frame by frame. Well, right. So through the Blu-ray version, I, I agree with that. This movie is going to be is rewatchable because of that. Like maybe we want to go through and try to see what we didn't pick up the last time. 
I wonder if there'll be a pop-up version in the on the Blu-ray, you know, where it's like boom, 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 boom. Here are all the references, right? All going all the way. Through. Your whole screen is referenced. The whole just bubbles everywhere. Um, I think I think that would be kind of cool to just see. I think it's so cool that that was an Excalibur reference. I had no idea what it was. I was thinking like, hmm, like is that like an elf language? Is that from Lord of the Rings? Is that from something else? Is that a D and D thing? I don't I don't know. But again, I, I still thought that that was. Uh, Really cool. Uh, you said, Lara, that it was like the Steven Spielberg movie that you didn't know you you were missing. Mm-hmm. I listened to the soundtrack. Ali, did you do this? Did you listen to the soundtrack? No, I was actually just about to bring up the soundtrack. Uh, you were okay. Yeah. Well, what? Well, I'm I'm curious what you have to say about it. But I, I was listening to it, and it's funny because thematically, to me, this is a a futuristic movie about advanced technology and. I was like, I wonder what the soundtrack's like. Like, I don't remember the, what the music was. And, like, thematically, I would want, like, futuristic sci-fi music. Mm-hmm. But the soundtrack is very much just a Steven Spielberg movie soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> through and through. 100%. <laughs> Who scored it? Do you remember? Um, I don't remember. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Well, what I was thinking about the, the soundtrack is there are little moments that... Um, felt very um i think alan Silvestri, i think did the back to the future score and there's a few moments where there's that that little that little cue that happens in back to the future a lot um that seem to be referenced here and i thought that was just really cool those those few notes from back to the future evoke so much magic in my head whenever i hear it and I felt like those moments were being squeezed into the score. So I, I, I like that. I actually want to go back and listen to the score as well. You're right. Original motion picture soundtrack music by Alan Silvestri. Oh, so he was probably <laughs> referencing his own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he just copy and pasted his own stuff. That's awesome. That's called uh, self-plagiarism. <laughs> change a couple notes here and there to make it. It's Ready Player One. It's not Back to the Future. Right. Yep. 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 That's the Ready Player One version of the Back to the Future theme. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious what was the I'm assuming that you each had like what the fuck holy shit moments in this movie that were just like big surprises uh, I'm curious what those were uh, like what was the biggest one you can remember uh, Lara did you have any of those I am trying to think Ali do you do you remember one I would say every challenge um, that's not a that's not the kind of answer I was all right, all right I'll say the biggest one <laughs> Just because they were so different. Uh, the biggest one is probably the final challenge where um, uh, the bad guy threw the um, that bomb that wipes out all those characters and Parcival mm-hmm. was not wiped out. Um, I don't remember if that was in the book or not. I don't think it was. But having the one-up, the extra life, I, th- I thought that was so cool. Uh, I re- that was in the book. That was in the mm-hmm. book? Okay, well, it's been book. many years since I, re- I remember that. So there you he gets go. The, he gets the quarter very differently. But uh, How does but he get the quarter in the, in the book? It's actually, it's just resting on, if I remember correctly, it's just resting on a arcade cabinet somewhere. Oh. Um, I think that was, that, was that when he was playing the perfect game of Pac-Man? I think so. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. He gets the perfect game and then he gets, uh, he gets that, his coin back. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm pretty sure that that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, I like the way it was done here. And I like um, uh, yeah. how that was shown in the movie. Um, like for a moment, I, I actually believed that he was going to be wiped out as well. Um, yeah. And then yeah. he wasn't. That well, was because, cool. and like 
the, the book has so many cool things that never happen in the movie. And one of them is like Parzival Par, uh, dies in the book. And then he has to start from level one all over again and level up his character. And then he's able to get back into the race in the book. And of course, like that would that would just take too long. It doesn't make sense in the mm-hmm. in the movie. But uh, so I I thought, holy shit! Like, what are they? Like, the movie's almost over. <laughs> right? Have him start right. over. I was like, now. is it going to start over? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very reminiscent of Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like exactly, like the same thing happened in Scott Pilgrim. So, but Scott Pilgrim kind of happened like between the book and the movie. Um, I still, I still, it was still a surprise. It was still a great surprise that fully pays off when you find out who the curator is. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though I was like, uh, about the one up, then once you find out, it's like, yes, okay, it works. I forgive you. It was fantastic. <laughs> so, well, we can, we can keep going around. Uh, did you have any, did you have a moment yeah. or was it the yeah, race? Yeah, my, one of my, no, one of my huge, uh, like, what the fuck moments was when they're getting weapons thrown at the car and then the last one is Chucky. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy shit. That was amazing. <laughs> He's freaking out. I'm freaking out. Okay, I don't know. I'm in that age. I had a my buddy doll when fucking Chucky came out, when Child's Play came out. That's and terrifying. I, I couldn't sleep. I swore that that fucking doll was moving. I hated my little buddy after that. I hate Chucky. Okay? And when that happened, I was I couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't stop feeling uncomfortable. And then the idea that it was like this perfect weapon that you could just throw out at the Sixers and was just going to start wiping people out was so just perfect. It was so good. That was one of those moments. Like I, I'll never forget that feeling I had in the theater when that happened. <laughs> so like out of left field, but like it, like they 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 really took advantage of it. That one was great. Laura, you got one yet? I do. So the the biggest surprise I had was the fact that Samantha was taken by IOI, not. Um, not Wade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought that was an interesting twist and that she got to be the hero inside the inside guy, you know, um, yeah. that was pretty cool. Well, but and the my, fact that she was, she was actually taken like Wade. Yeah. Yeah. Like, puts himself in that situation. Exactly. And, and although the, the loyalty centers here are way worse than the ones described in the book, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think the ones in the book were more like, like small Inden- apartments. Like yeah, yeah, small apartments indentured servitude rather than slavery. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But my what the fuck moment was that I wasn't expecting like um in the shining scene where they're just like hey, so now we got to get them through the shining uh the, in IOI. They're like we got to get them through the the shining <laughs> thing. And then everybody's like ah, 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 <laughs> they're all dying yeah. and yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was cute. that was great. That was um, I just realized in this conversation that this movie has Star Trek references, Star Wars references, Galactic. The Galactic is in it. Galactica. Um, yeah, it has all of these like space show uh, references in one. That's like so, pretty impressive. And and that's what um, also makes me a little sad is if we didn't have to worry about copyright we could have a oasis like we could have a online uh open world game that weaves in 
everything. <laughs> so, no, no, I disagree. I, I disagree to an extent. But there are lots of crossovers um, that do happen in games that are pretty cool. Well, you can't. Wow, you, you, does you, a. You, 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 but you can't do this. You can't make an oasis right now with no. all these things. And um, my guess is um, the. Uh, what's the name of the company again? It's. Um, Gregarious, Gregarious games. games, yeah. So my guess is they became so successful and so big that they could buy Disney, they could buy Capcom, they could buy like everyone who owns the rights to all these things, or at least license the rights to to use them in the game. And I kind of wish we could have something like that now, so we can really have like these massive crossover kind of games. So the reason why I think that we're that we couldn't do it now is because the technology doesn't exist to create a platform well, yeah. that could sustain it. But we can like so my understanding from the book was that the Oasis is basically the next internet. And so the Lord of the Rings world is made by Lord of the Rings people. Like that's right. that's them. Like there's a next there's a currency that exists within the world and everybody can build within it and then you can charge money whatever you want. So you could still hold on to your rights. Like copyright is still a thing. There's still they're just rules, you know, yeah, that, it's that exist. Just a virtual world of internet. I mean all of them go to school in the oasis. Yeah. yeah. Like Artemis has Canada's bike and that's like a coveted item. And the artifacts are expensive and rare. Because if copyright wasn't a thing, then H could literally just make anything that he wanted so, anytime, and well, so could any other modern. He was making Iron Giant. He he was, but within within the rules of the game, right? He could have could have technically made a million Iron Giants or a million, or just like yeah. copied the bike. And within those rules, like you you couldn't do that. Like you you do have to collect resources and use that to trade in for some type of limited goods um like and h is a skilled modder they said right so he is more skilled than other people at being able to repair and even create certain things but it seems it does definitely seem like there are rules there because there are things that people respect so like how does gregarious games make any money then maybe the the companies behind different properties have to pay gregarious games to be able to have their stuff featured in the oasis Maybe. Remember, Sorrento was talking about like, oh, you should have different tiers. You should have a silver tier and a gold tier. And Holiday wasn't having any of that. So maybe users have to pay some kind of membership fee, like an Xbox Live kind of thing. And then to have your stuff featured, like to have the Lord of the Rings stuff, those companies are paying Gregarious Games some kind of fee. It could be it could be something like like the internet, nobody owns the internet and everybody exists on top of it and there's a lot of open source there. But there are a lot of video games. For example, Fortnite is brand, is a free game that exists right now that's very popular and it's built on the Unreal Engine. And so that company, they actually release a game that's free, but they pay technically they don't because they own it. <laughs> but that company makes a game, so they make Fortnite. Uh, Epic owns the Unreal Engine, but they license that engine to other people to make their games. And so, so be... many games are made on the Unreal yeah. Engine. Yeah, yeah. So it could be that Gregarious is making money off of the back, like yeah. the backbone, yeah, like yeah. the actual software foundation, and maybe the actual Oasis is free. 
Oh, so the and, playground. Well, Could and be. speaking of the technology, one of the things that um, I also enjoyed about the movie was seeing how they showed like the omnidirectional treadmill, um, the haptic feedback suit, um, just seeing how some of these technologies that are probably on the horizon that are going to deepen the um, um, how absorbing virtual reality is. Um, and I've seen versions of all of those things that currently exist. Like an omnidirectional so, treadmill? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's two of them. Oh, there's wow. one that's really like a like a like a very slippery surface. And then so as you're sliding on it, you have very little friction, so you can move in any direction. And then there's another one that's a giant ball, like a hamster ball that you're inside of. Hmm. And so as you're moving inside of it, you're, you, it doesn't matter what direction you're moving in, the ball moves in that direction, but the, the ball is stationary. It's like built on a particular base that'll move in whatever direction you move. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty and cool. then there's been haptic feedback. Like there's, there's been versions of that uh, for decades. Yeah. Did- I mean, your, I, your Apple Watch has it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that's one version of it. This is true. It's true. There is like full body stuff. Like, yeah. Do they have any smell feedback in those? Suits? In the Oasis? Yeah. That's a good question. I don't remember. Like they have touch, you have sight, um, and you have sound. But do you have smell and then do you also have taste? Uh, I don't think they have taste because you don't really see anyone no. eating. And they actually say in the movie that eating is one of the only things people don't do in the Oasis. Holiday uh, says at the end, it's the only place you can get a good meal. Right, the real world, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wonder if they have smell. Is there any olfactory sense? As someone who's been to 4D theaters many times, the smell part is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not done well yet, but it can be. As someone who's been on Soarin' um, at Disney, smell is done well on that ride. But then you go to It's Tough to Be a Bug, which is no longer going to be around, and they make you smell stink bugs, and it's oh, disgusting. disgusting. Smell-O-Vision, man. That was around, like, what, the 70s? hmm Remember that? No, I mean, not I remember. Really that was off. before we were born, but it was a thing. It was a thing. <laughs> it was a thing. Yeah. You scratch off the things and smell it as you go along. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, the, the the movie doesn't go into a lot of those details, like the things that we're discussing right now. The book absolutely does. And maybe, so maybe the the movie doesn't leave me with the same like ideas, right? Like I'm not imagining all that stuff as much as I did after I read the book, because even something like the the library and all of those re- recreations, that doesn't that's not something that like I didn't imagine before, you know? Like flip sync yeah. is still something where I'm like, holy shit! Like that was amazing. I never even thought of that. Well, and these three D recreations are, you know, that's probably. That's probably a criticism of the movie. It it is so well edited and it is such a fast pace. You don't really have a lot of time to stop and think. Um, You compare that with something like Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park that is about like pretty big picture technology, genetic engineering, bringing back um, species. That movie... Um, has a lot of breaks and breathers that allow you time to reflect. Um, and you have characters that are actively reflecting on the technology. There's a little bit of less, there's less of that in the film, a lot more of that in the book. But also like in the years that have passed, like so, so H is driving a UPS truck from the 30s that deploys drones for delivery, right? And so UPS is a thing we're almost in the 20s. Like it's the 30s not, don't feel that far from It's not from USPS, USPS. It's USPS. Yeah. It's USPS. Okay. Right. So I know what that is. I know 
the 30s isn't that far from now because we're almost in the 20s. We have drones. Like I've played with multiple drones, right? Like these are news things. These are things that, that are, that don't seem so far into the future. Like that world in 2045, especially considering the last two years where everything finally felt like it went to shit, right? Like we, we've talked in the past about how at least, at least I felt like everything was moving forward and upward and things could never be worse than they were before. Like we were always progressing. And then since 2016, I, I lost that feeling. So the world of Columbus, Ohio in 2045 that I read about in the book seemed dystopic. And now it seems like, oh yeah, I could totally see that. <laughs> no. well, and and, and, and self-driving cars about... are killing people on the road now, right? Like there's all these things. And I also, I have a virtual reality headset in my room, in my house, I do virtual reality now. I didn't do that when I read the book. So like the world feels very different now that the movie came out from when mm-hmm. I read that book. So I think that also has a lot to do with where the technology, like that technology, um, that jump that we felt when we read the book, for me anyway. And uh, Wade is born like seven, nine years from now. Yeah. So yeah. he says he's born after the bandwidth riots, and I'm thinking net neutrality. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it could happen. Could happen. Yeah. So, does that, given where we are now, and given how technology has changed, and given the state of geopolitics, does that, how does that change your experience of the movie and in this somewhat dystopian view of the future how does that change it for you for you both i lived through hurricane maria and i lived through like pretty shitty period where things are really really bad and then <laughs> i feel like i'm i've had experiences where like when i read the book originally again i felt like that future was not possible and very far and away. now it is. Yeah. And now after watching the movie, I feel like that world is very possible. Yeah. The stacks is not a strange idea. I thought it was an incredible idea when I read the book. Now I'm like, yeah, disparity is fucking real. And if the internet is, is a, like one of the world's most valuable resources, it makes sense that people would move toward it. And, like the stacks make sense, and so does um, so does these credit crises and um, indentured servitude, yeah. yeah, resulting from all these loans. I mean, so much more has been discussed about um, student loan crisis and yeah. yep. and all of this. Um, those stakes feel a lot more real now, um, given where where we are, at least in the United States. Yeah, like today, we're depending on what state you live in. And it's funny, I don't know if Ohio is one of these states, but that if you start defaulting on your loans, the government can start uh, grabbing it f- directly from your pay, right? Like there are things that can happen that are completely out of your control. And it's not but being But we don't swept. have debtor's jail. We don't, not yet, right? <laughs> but they will but take it, your yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, I mean that's, that's my answer. It felt, it didn't feel as improbable way to now. bring it down ollie well way that's that's <laughs> well that's something i'm kind of wondering is like is this a dystopia is this an optimistic view of the future is this a dystopian view i think it's kind of both i think by the end of the movie we get to a more optimistic view of the world i agree i agree um and 
<sighs> Do we though? Like in the book, they cover that a lot more where they talk about how, so, so in the, in the book, they talk about how there's so much wealth in winning that would, could be gained from winning the game that it could be used to help people. In the movie, the idea is that the resistance is basically there to um, abolish these this indentured servitude program that's be, that's been implemented, right? And do mm-hmm. something about that because and that's they, where and that's do. how Artemis's dad died. Debt is a serious issue. People are very poor, but they do. They get rid of the the loyalty centers. Well, and they if do. You but think that, about it. They don't say it outright, but the high five just inherit. They just got half a trillion dollars and they're the kind of people that may do something with that <laughs> but they did but again the movie addresses the, their one goal and they achieve it in the book there's a lot more discussion about it kind of like when Artemis right. meets Parzival and she's like well what'd you do with it like so many people need help but really she only had one goal they achieved it so in that sense at the end of the movie that whole idea of like well <laughs> okay so so I'm in Puerto Rico right now and there's this law that to that today when we're recording, which is um, not Black Friday. What is today called? Um, Good it's Friday. a religious holiday. Good Friday. Good Friday. Good Friday. Good Friday right. Black um, Friday is a very different holiday. <laughs> it's a great holiday. It's the best holiday. Yeah, but so there's a law here in Puerto Rico that many many businesses are not allowed to open on Good Friday or Easter Sunday. Wow, that's weird, right? Mm-hmm. Um. It's obviously for religious reasons. There are some exemptions, but uh, like my local supermarket cannot open uh, today or or Sunday. So the idea of having the Oasis closed for two days, it's weird for me because although, see, I guess it's because they didn't touch on this in the movie as much, but in the book, we know that people live out their lives there. Like people go to school in the Oasis. People have jobs in the Oasis. The entire economy is built around the Oasis. So like shutting down the Oasis two days a week is like two days less than people could work when they might want to work because they're still poor and they live in the stacks and they don't want to live in the stacks anymore. And you're also imposing like these days, like Tuesday and Thursday seems very arbitrary. Also, Mm -hmm. it's like imposing your will upon people that, the the real world that you you all need to get out more which is the message i don't know it doesn't seem like they're they're necessarily making the world a better place yeah the world in the movie doesn't necessarily have everybody in there to work and and go to school it's more of a recreation thing and yeah 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 and i think that's just by design and so it makes more sense for them to close it down on tuesdays and thursdays not really, but you you actually I see guess. schools in the movie that aren't in the Oasis, um, which conflicts with how the book portrayed the Oasis. Yeah, um, yeah. Like the, the whole idea of the schools in the Oasis was something that I I, I wanted to write two books about. It was like, it was like <laughs> yeah, like that's the future of education, especially when you're talking about. I don't know, like where educational technology has advanced, which is something that that is near and dear to my heart. Um, the idea of that existing within the Oasis was incredible to me. Well, I really loved in the book how it didn't really matter where in the world you were. You could 
theoretically access the best education. You could go anywhere you want. And that's been one of the big promises of virtual te- uh, virtual reality is being able to go anywhere and be anywhere and do anything um, through this technology. So the movie, it was, it was much more of a, of a game um, environment. And that's a little bit of a shame, I guess, uh, based on what is so exciting about the premise in the book. I will say with both the book and the movie, I thought the ending was a little quick and heavy-handed and and didn't really fit uh, the rest of the book. The whole message of get out and be outside and, and, and enjoy that it kind of felt like when you play the Wii and you play... Wii Sports, and you've played a bunch of games of Wii Tennis, and it goes, hey, how?" it shows a picture of a window, and it goes, how about go outside for a little bit? <laughs> it kind of felt like that to me, where I was like, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I want to play this game. Like, that message totally doesn't resonate. Um, it just felt a little out of place in both the book and the movie for me. It bothered me more in the book than in the movie, because, like you said, in the movie, there is a lot of development about um, a lot of Halliday's development. And we get to see how he thinks and how the whole game was really, in a way, like made for him, right? And how the Oasis was made in a way for him. But he has like these regrets, right? It's all about how he feels at the moment. And the like the final test, you know, it's like, it's about friendship. It's about getting out. And like, you can tell like, the, it was difficult for him to exist in the outside world. So he created a world where he did feel comfortable. But ultimately he felt like, Maybe that wasn't the best idea because then I ended up with no friends and no love. So maybe I shouldn't have done that. So maybe moving forward, maybe people could spend less time in here. <laughs> you know, and like I get that. I think I felt that more clearly from the movie than I did in the book, at least as far as I can remember. So one of the things that I like about the Oasis, and I think this really reflects internet culture, is remixing and making something your own like you see with the DeLorean how it has um, the Knight Rider lights there and I think it's got a few other modifications that's one of the things I love about the internet is when memes take off and how they it's one piece of pop culture but it also might weave in another aspect and, and all of that stuff it was pretty cool to see that as like this could be a next evolution of how we mix stuff together on the internet um, but do it in the virtual world I, I thought that was pretty cool kind of like fan fiction yeah like slash fiction. <laughs> I actually wonder what what is the world of fan fiction like in the Oasis? Um, That's a cool concept, right? Wouldn't that be so cool to explore? I, th- I think a lot of it is fan fiction. W- what we saw, you know, like yeah, like I'm going to dress up as my favorite character, and I'm going to have this this vehicle from here, or this or that, or yeah, just like it's like role play fan fiction. Like, what if Batman? drove the DeLorean <laughs> and then yeah that would be cool it's almost more like it's the fan fiction of your life rather than the fan fiction of a story because mm-hmm. I love that example at the beginning it's like you can do anything you can go here you can visit there you can climb Mount Everest with Batman I was like <laughs> yes that's exactly what I want to do I want to climb Mount Everest but with Batman so it's really like the fan fiction version of my life in, in the Oasis <laughs> rather than like that's not Batman's story. That's my story with Batman added onto it. But then you add the things like the flick sinks or whatever where... 
Oof. which is not in the movie, but in the book, you are that character and you get yeah. to go through that. And yeah. if you screw it up, you lose points. But <laughs> what if they had it like that, but you could do whatever you want with the movie? Yeah. Like, or yeah. bring something from outside the movie into it. It turns into a telltale game where all of a sudden there's branching paths. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, so actually, that's a good point. So right now there's the Telltale games. Are you familiar with the Telltale games, uh, Ali? Yeah, yeah. I've played the uh, the Walking Dead version. Of, the Walking Dead, yeah, right? The first one. So there's there's a lot of different ones. Uh, some a of them lot. are just fantastic. <laughs> and right now there's uh, we're on season two of the Batman Telltale series. And the in this current season, apparently, I haven't played the second season at all, but there's, depending on your decisions, you're your paths will branch in a certain way where you'll make decisions where the Joker can actually become a good guy. Oh, wow. And be your ally versus being a bad guy. And he'll even look differently in this, in this story, depending on which way he goes based on your decisions. And like, that's something that, you know, could you imagine playing through like the dark night and then like, and being able to redeem the Joker. him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden, like, you're best friends with the Joker instead of... All those things you scream at your TV, like, no, don't do that. Yeah, you exactly. could actually not do that. So that would be... So this is this has got me thinking a little bit. Um, Laura, you mentioned uh, fanfic, and... Uh, I, I don't I don't fault the movie for this because again there's only so much you can do. But one of the things that seems to be lacking from the world of Oasis is original content um, that's been created by people living in this universe. Like so much of it is like referential content uh, that was created um, a long time ago or properties that were created a long time ago. But I'm kind of wondering like where's the geek therapy podcast? Where is the fanfic? Where are the new stories? And um, again, like you can't squeeze that all into a two hour movie, but that was also kind of missing from ready player one too. Like there was no new pop culture, like post 1990 in, in the Oasis. So I thought about that while I was watching the movie and I thought, okay, there are 200 characters on screen right now. I wonder how many of these are brand new creations for the movie and how many of them are actually references. And I don't know, I don't know the answer to that because I, I couldn't, if, if it's true and many of those things are new, that there was no way that I could recognize them all. And I, I don't recognize everything that was um, on screen. I couldn't even see everything that was on screen. So I'm curious, you know, if that happened, if they just like they added things to the movie that have existed since the book came out. I wonder how many things were imagined. Like what would happen here? <laughs> like in Back to the Future 2, when you see Jaws 19, is it right? Yeah, yeah. That shows up, right? It's like, well, we're imagining what happened in between, um, you know, one, one period and uh, between now and that future that we're seeing. I don't know. Um, I don't think that it doesn't exist. I mean, their avatars of the of the high five, mm, yeah, are yep. are pretty. They're they're not anything I've seen before. They're unique. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, they are. They are. Even even like, Irox, right? Like I don't. Yeah. I don't think he's being anything specific. <laughs> he's like yeah. the, he's the type of person that would, you know, have a skull as a body. <laughs> His forehead did look a little Klingon. I'm just gonna say. Uh, which Klingon? Which type? 
but do Klingons original, spit orbs out series. of skull eyes out of their <laughs> chest? Uh, no, that was that was pretty cool. The skull chest was cool. Josue, I think like more of a next generation kind of Klingon. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, you're right, and it could be that Artemis as a character and what Artemis is known for in the Oasis is an original creation in itself. Um, you know, like I, I'm not quite sure what that, what it feels like to be in the Oasis, but it, it could be that like, as you see these people walking around, you will recognize them as for the, for the stories that they're known for. Like, Oh, it's the Artemis who did blah, blah, blah at this battle or that thing, you know? Well, I mean, one thing that I liked in the movie, they mentioned, oh, I've seen all her Twitch streams. Yeah, and I remember yeah. in the <laughs> yeah. in the book, there's something else, right? That's not YouTube, but it's something else. And the way they describe it is pretty funny because if you read the book today, you're like, what the fuck? They're just describing YouTube, yeah. right? <laughs> like the, but, but it makes sense that if the Oasis is mostly a game, then Artemis is a highly skilled and recognized gamer who is popular on Twitch, like, many twitch streamers are right now right well and that reflects a lot of youtube culture as well is most people under 30 are consuming a lot more youtube than they are tv and for them youtubers are uh their celebrities yeah well that now we're talking about celebrities versus like new creation new fictional creations or well new themes or like are those characters you know some of the some YouTubers I've met say, oh, I'm just playing a character on my channel. And some people say, well, that's just me. And then some people say, well, that's just a version of me, an edited, high, uh, like um, more extreme version of me. So like when does a character end and the person begin? And I could see the same thing with Artemis. Like when does Artemis begin and Artemis end? Good point. Good point. This has been a good discussion. We could keep Man. going, but I know I think I, I worry about no three hour episode. You guys, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no three hour. But episode. I'm only on point eleven out of fifty seven. Lauren, you can't leave me alone with these guys again. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine if Lauren was here and to t- to talk about her favorite book and movie <laughs> again? <laughs> I am remembering that conversation hour. a little bit differently than you, Husway. Hmm, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I want to know, though? What? I want to know what questions and what thoughts people had about Ready Player One. If if only there was a place where they could submit that in some into some sort of queue. Lara, like, do we have something like that? We we do, and we answered a, a question queue uh, question it, earlier. We did. We did. We What's did. the question? Like queue? an hour ago. <laughs> like an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. What's the question queue, Lara? It's a place where you can go and ask questions, and then Josue will tell us one of the questions, and we will answer them on the podcast. <laughs> um, you can go to geektherapy.com slash the letter Q, the letter Q, Q, Q. Yep. So make sure to clear that up. Or you can ask us stuff on Twitter. Yeah. And not just questions. Um, it's a question Comments Q and name. It's a question Q and name only. It's also a comment Q. <laughs> comment with the Q. <laughs> <laughs> Q-O-M-E-N-T. Get it? No? Not liking it? Aww. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's get out of here. <laughs> it is uh, too late yeah. in the night for me to pick up on whatever you just said. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, let us know what you thought about the movie, about the book, what we had to say. Um, agree, disagree. I want to know. I love this book. I really, really enjoyed the movie. I, Everyone I'm, tell Josue his ideas are bullshit. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. everybody tell me my ideas are bullshit. Um, I, I want other people other than Ali to, to be the ones to say that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of get tired of saying how wrong Josue is. Yeah, I don't know why I said Ali because it's actually Lara, the one who calls me out on shit. It's not, it's not Ali, but uh, it, it's true. But, but it's out of love, and half the time I agree with you. So, <laughs> for more episodes of GT Radio or anything else on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network, visit geektherapy.com. We're on Twitter at Geek Therapy. I'm at Josue Cardona. Lara's at Geek Therapist. Ali is at Ali Matu. Thank you for joining us, and we will be back next week. You just listened to GT Radio on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. For more about Geek Therapy and our other podcasts, visit geektherapy.com. And for extra content, including our monthly book club and other perks, consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month at our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash geektherapy.